Hide your kids, hide your wife, but especially hide your kids because the Biden administration is planning to come to your door to get you jabbed with an experimental drug all in the name of fighting a virus that poses at most an infinitesimally small risk to your kids. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki outlined the plan yesterday. President will outline five areas his team is focused on to get more Americans vaccinated. One, uh, targeted community by community door-to-door outreach to get remaining Americans vaccinated by ensuring they have the information they need on how both safe and accessible the vaccine is. Yes, the vaccine so wonderful for the virus, so dangerous that government thugs need to go door-to-door to get you to take it. But while the jab-happy public health police ought to be taken down a few notches, in other areas, the government could actually use a heavier hand, particularly as crime spikes around the country and, in the words of Democrat Senator Bob Casey, our democracy reaches the point of no return. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Jürgen Kleilein, who says, and this is in response to Matthew McConaughey, I take it, America is not heading into puberty. It's heading and sliding into dementia. <laughs> I suppose that is the, the question. That is the most important question we're dealing with now. Is this a growing pain on the road to great national glory? Are we, are we perhaps sadly at the end of the Roman Republic, but we still have some of the glory days of the empire before us, or is this it? Are the barbarians at the gates and are we headed into endless decline? That's the question. I guess it's, the answer is going to be a little bit up to us. You know, when you want to tune out all the noise, all the craziness, when you just want to listen to something really, really profound, you got to check out Raycons. This summer, you're lounging at the pool. You're at the beach. You want to listen to your favorite audiobook, perhaps. Maybe you want to listen to your favorite podcast, perhaps. And maybe you want to listen to some music. A pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in your ears can make all the difference, no matter what you are listening to. You will get crisp, powerful beats at half the price of other premium audio brands, okay? I am going to put this as diplomatically as I can. Raycons, it's just a superior product to the other stuff on the market and it's much less expensive, but it is a better product, okay? Raycons look great. They feel even better. They come in a range of cool colors. They've got customizable gel tips included for a comfortable in-ear fit. They are built to go wherever you go with quick and seamless Bluetooth pairing and a compact charging case. Right now, Raycon's offering 15% off all their products to our listeners. Here's what you got to do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. There you will get 15% off your entire Raycon order. Such a good deal. You're going to want to grab a pair and a spare. 15% off at buyraycon.com slash Knowles, buyraycon.com slash Knowles. They're going to go door to door, by the way, only in targeted communities. So I I hope you're not in one of those targeted communities. They're going to go door to door to convince you to get this vaccine because, you know, it's so great. (laughs) It's so great that no one wants it. (laughs) And because the virus is so dangerous that no one cares or is worried about this other than some neurotics in New York and Los Angeles. I have said, I want to be very clear about my views on on the vaccine. I think you know my views on these people going door to door. I have said from the very beginning, the vaccine is about prudence. 
I actually don't think that the vaccine is going to kill everyone or turn people into a 5G cell tower, though perhaps the, that would be perfectly fine because my cell service is not that great, particularly in, in my new town. Uh, however, while I don't, I, I'm not saying it's going to kill you and it's going to turn you into, you're going to get be magnetized. And I'm not saying that. Also, this is an experimental drug that is very, very new. When people tell you there are no long-term side effects, they have no idea what they're talking about because there's no long term, because they just invented this thing for a virus that didn't exist a year and a half ago. So don't let them tell you that it's 100% perfectly safe, no problems whatsoever. I'm not saying there's no circumstance in which you should get the vaccine. I'm not saying it's obvious that you should get the vaccine. I, I think we, we have just completely lost sight of the conservative virtue in this country, which is prudence. Maybe you make a risk assessment. Maybe you weigh out different factors and you think, well, maybe, okay, this, that, or the other thing. You definitely don't need government thugs showing up at your door with a needle. And by the way, when they do that, when you hear them come and knock and, hey, get this perfectly 100% safe thing, that it's not even a question whether or not you should get it, it's going to probably make reasonable people less likely to get it. Moreover, healthy young people. I've got to phrase my words carefully so we're not taken off of YouTube. It seems very strange to me that healthy young people would be so afraid of this virus that just has not really had terribly negative effects on young people and it's not really threatened their lives in any great numbers, that they would get this experimental drug. It's very strange that they would have a medical reason to get this experimental drug. There might be other reasons that they have to. I've, plenty of people have written in and they've said, look, I'm not allowed back at school unless I get the drug. So I'm taking a risk calculation. I'm going to take it and I hope, I'll hope for the best. Okay, I get that. Or people at work or whatever. I, yeah, I get that. But don't, <laughs> don't tell me to deny reality. Don't tell me that in order for us to move past this horror, the worst epidemic, pandemic in history, we all need to, we need to inoculate 12 year olds. We, we don't. We don't. I know, I'm sorry. I know I'm contradicting some of the genius public health people. Um, by the way, I'm not contradicting others. Many scientists are saying there's no reason to inoculate these children. And, and every day we're getting more and more stories about this. A 13-year-old boy in Michigan died suddenly in his sleep two days after receiving the mRNA vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine. The CDC is investigating this, by the way. This is not just some kooky thing on the corners of the internet that isn't true. A 13-year-old Michigan boy, Jacob Kleinick, got his second dose on June 13th, days after graduating from the eighth grade. He then had the typical symptoms, which included fever and general fatigue. Then he complained of a stomach ache two days later, went to bed, never woke up. Now, the preliminary autopsy, according to the D Detroit Free Press, suggests that Jacob's heart was enlarged when he died and there was fluid around his heart. This is the side effect that even the public health authorities are admitting goes along with these mRNA vaccines. I'm not saying it goes, it, it happens in huge numbers. We don't know, but it has, there have been many documented cases of this happening, not in old people, by the way, in young people, in young people who, if they were making a risk calculation, probably, probably didn't need to get the vaccine. And this poor 13 year old boy, it's not as though he's the one making the decision. His parents are making the decision for him. Feel terrible for the whole family because the parents are just going on the best medical advice of the genius experts. 
And now it's very, it's very difficult to look at the situation and conclude that, oh, this was just a coincidence. This had nothing to do with the vaccine. Yeah, the boy got the vaccine that he really didn't need. If you're just looking at the statistical chance of him dying of coronavirus, it's infinitesimally small. So he gets this experimental vaccine and then he suffers the symptoms that are associated with this vaccine in young men and then he dies. I I can't believe that's a coincidence. That seems very different. I think that the conspiracy theory is that that is a coincidence. The CDC admits there's a likely association between the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA vaccines and these cases of heart inflammation in younger people. Terribly, terribly sad story. Now they want to go door to door and, and get you jabbed. Why? Why? What's that about? Messaging is a little bit off here. There's a, a professor, medical professor at NYU who acknowledges the messaging. Forget the vaccines themselves. People can make their own risk calculation and use their own prudential judgment. The messaging on the vaccine and the lockdowns more broadly has been completely bungled from the top. When everything messaging changes, people get afraid and they don't know who they can trust and there's inconsistency. And I go with the CDC with this one, not on this flip-flop by Dr. Fauci. I think if you've been vaccinated, you're protected over 95% of the time. And even if you got a case, it would be really, really mild. So the idea of reinstituting masks in states that don't have as high a vaccination rate, let me give you an idea what the actual numbers are and you'll understand what I'm saying. In, in, In Mississippi, There's been less than 200 new cases a day over the past week with only three deaths over the entire week. In Wyoming, Mm -hmm. less than 80 new cases a day with one death over the entire week. So if you're in Wyoming or Mississippi, which don't have the kind of vaccine compliance I want or Dr. Fauci wants, what's the chances that you're going to bang into this virus if you're fully vaccinated? Almost zero. So it sends the wrong message and it gets in the way of a doctor like me trying to convince my patients to get the vaccine. All good points. It's true. The flip-flops from Fauci and even some of the turnarounds at the CDC and the other public health agencies, they have undermined the credibility of doctors and scientists. And that's too bad, you know, and isn't that too bad? I think a lot, I'm not, I'm not accusing Dr. Siegel of doing this, but I think a lot of people have been saying, it's just, it's just crazy there. Unfortunately, Fauci has undermined our credibility, but you need to believe us. No, he did. He, that's the thing about undermining credibility is it happened. It, when, and when it happens, then you don't have credibility. And that's why people are going to be looking to other sources for information about the vaccines and the lockdowns and the virus and the origins and the whole thing. And they're not crazy for that. And they're not anti-scientific and they're not anti-intellectual. They're smart. <laughs> they're smart. When someone lies to you repeatedly and when someone deceives you and when someone downplays risks and when someone does this, that, and the other thing, you're going to, you're going to turn elsewhere for your information and you're totally totally justified in doing that. When things get kind of crazy, you know what, you know what is a great way to hedge your investments? Physical gold. And yet you might say, Michael, I just don't have all that money in the couch cushions right now. Well, what if I told you, you can start investing in physical gold without coming out of pocket all at once. You can do it for as low as $30 a month. You lie, Michael. Don't call me a liar. How dare you? I'm not lying at all. I'm 
telling you that Acre has this ingenious new product where you in, invest every month. You send in $30. When your gold stash reaches the price of their gold bars, they will discreetly ship Acre Gold to your house. They've also got a $100 a month subscription to a five gram gold bar. And they'll keep you updated every month and then they'll send you your physical gold. I have really enjoyed investing in physical precious metals especially Acre Gold. I really enjoy uh, investing in that, especially now when everyone's all worried about inflation as well. They should be. Head on over to getacregold.com slash Knowles. Start investing in physical gold today. Make sure you go to this URL because Acre is giving away a gold bar. To qualify for the giveaway, tweet or post why you should be the recipient and mention at get underscore Acre. That's getacregold.com slash Knowles. And thank you, Acre Gold, for supporting the show. Speaking of drugs, you're going to have the Biden administration coming around trying to jab you with an experimental drug. There are other drugs out there, not just those COVID vaccines. There are lots of other drugs out there. They're trying to legalize a lot of drugs throughout the country. A lot of conservatives have gone along with this even, or at least libertarians, but some conservatives too. Oh, who cares? Legalize pot, legalize even harder drugs than that. Well, we got a real blast from the past this week where a U.S. Olympian, Shikari Richardson, will not be permitted to run in the Olympic 100 meter race because she has a one month ban for testing positive for smoking the old sin spinach, you know, those jazz cigarettes, that Peruvian parsley, you catch what I'm putting out there? I'm talking about the Haitian oregano, you know what I mean? Marijuana. So she came out and, you know, tested positive for this. And a lot of people are saying this is outrageous. Some people are saying it's racist or whatever, you know, because everything bad is racist these days. Some people are saying it's unfair. It's, it's very sad for her. It's very sad that she will not get to run in this cool race that she's been training her whole life for because she wanted to smoke a doobie. And uh, that's unfortunate. She she knew the risks, okay? When she decided to uh, spark up the ganj, she she knew the risks. I guess she thought it wouldn't be enforced because a lot of our rules are not enforced anymore, which is the flip side of this. But even Joe Biden, even Joe Biden, he licks his finger in the morning, figures out which way the winds are blowing, it's been blowing, blowing very progressively, so he's been moving to the left. He was asked about this, and he said, you know what? The rules are the rules. Sir, do you think the ban is fair? Do you think her ban is fair well, for marijuana? It's the, the rules are the rules, and everybody knows that the rules were going in. Whether they should remain that, that should remain the rules, a different issue. The rules are the rules, and I was really proud of the way she responded. And uh, so, okay, thank you. I love the first part of this response. At the end, you hear Biden did this Clinton thing, this Bill Clinton thing, where he tried to get both sides of the issue. He goes, rules are the rules. The rules are the rules, okay? But I was really proud of how she responded. What do you mean? She responded and she was extremely angry and thinks it's unjust. But I was really proud. So he's trying to get both sides of it. But I love that first line. Very conservative. This is probably my favorite thing Joe Biden's ever said. Rules are the rules. Sorry, guys. Smoke a little bit of the devil's lettuce. That's what's going to happen to you. This shows you the two sides of it. Uh, You know, in politics, little manifestos, little ideologies that can fit on the back of a napkin are are really never true. I just, oh gosh, I just finished reading Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. We're going to all be talking about that in the coming weeks, but I've I've been putting off reading it for for 10, 15 years at this point. And it's just terrible. And it's terrible in part because the ideology is so thin. It's so simple. It's so clear. Shallows are clear. Okay. So I, I want to make sure that, well, obviously we want to resist the tyranny of Biden's thugs going door to door, jabbing people with an experimental drug that in many cases is not going to improve their health out, outlooks. 
At the same time, we need to recognize that the government could use a heavier hand in other places. The government has become very permissive. Those, those uh, rioters, the BLM rioters, they all, not all of them, but most of them got off the hook, especially in New York. They just got completely off the hook. That's where we need more big government. That's where we need a heavier hand of government. The people who stormed the Capitol and stole Nancy Pelosi's lectern in January, those guys are going to rot in prison, right? So I, I suspect what Shikari Richardson was thinking is, okay, there's just uneven enforcement of this rule. I'm going to take my chance. No, the, you, you need to enforce the rules if you're going to have a society of law, not of men. Now, Biden, so Biden, good job on this. I actually really like that. I never say anything nice about Biden, but I, I liked his answer there. Otherwise, Biden is not instilling a ton of trust. Joe Biden was just asking questions about Russia, and he couldn't, he couldn't give a straight answer because he doesn't know what's going on because his, his brain is soup at this point. So he pulled out some notes to, uh, to read what they told him. With the most recent hack by the Russians, would you say that this, this means We're that- We're not sure it's the Russians. I got a brief and uh, uh, I'll be in better shape to talk to you about it. Hang on a second. I'll tell you what they sent me. The idea, first of all, we're not sure who it is for certain, number one. And what I did, I directed the full resources of the, of the government to assist in a response. One question. Who is they? <laughs> You're the president of the United States. Oh, you're asking me about Russia. I, uh, hold on, let me find out. Oh, that's my shopping list. Let me... Uh, Okay, here. Here's what they sent me. Who, who is they? You've got the, the conspiracy theorists are, are probably going pretty wild right now because Joe Biden is admitting that he's not, he's not running the country himself, that he's taking orders from some mysterious them. Obviously, he can't keep up with this. This reminds me of those sort of late stage Soviet dictators you know, the, the ones at the end where they just, they would live for like five minutes and they were just so out of it. And it was just so broke until you got to, to Gorbachev and they were just, it was so sad and they were just completely collapsing. That's, that's what Biden is doing. And he's allowing them to run the country and especially to run foreign policy. And I suspect by them, he means the establishment. He means the state department. He means the people who have been running foreign policy for many decades now. And whenever a president goes in and tries to shake things up, the, the blob, the liberal establishment, the, the permanent government just kind of Im, impedes them from doing that. And that's what's happening here. More lucid members of the Biden administration are somehow incredibly even worse than he is. I'm thinking of Attorney General Merrick Garland, who uh, just last week uh, wrote that he will block federal executions. So federal executions had been stopped. Uh, Obama did not engage in federal executions. Then Trump comes in. He kicks off federal executions again. So people who have been convicted, who have been sentenced to death, they just were languishing on death row. Trump said, now we're going to start killing them again. I mean, these are the most heinous crimes you can possibly imagine. And then the attorney general, Merrick Garland under Biden comes in and says, no, we're not going to do that anymore. And that's not surprising. The libs don't want rapists and serial killers and child rapist killers to be punished. And Republicans tend to want to, to punish them. So, okay, we, we can expect that. What's interesting here is the reasoning that Merrick Garland gave. In, in Garland's memo to the DOJ, 
he said that the application of the death penalty had exhibited arbitrariness in its application. Again, that's kind of weak sauce, normal boilerplate stuff, and disparate impact on people of color. That's the problem, is too many of the people who are committing these capital offenses, who are then sentenced to death, are, are black people. In other words, not enough people who are committing capital offenses and being sentenced to death are white people. <laughs> so so the, the argument is not totally about justice here. It's not even largely about justice. It's not about the immorality of the death penalty and how it's intrinsically evil or unjust because it's not, because it's impossible to make that argument. Instead, the argument is not enough white people are frying. And so because not enough white people are frying, we have got to suspend the death penalty entirely. Kind of a perverse logic to that, don't you think? I mean, this is how racial politics makes people kooky, is when you just, when you come to the conclusion that there can be no group differences in outcome, in behavior, in, in any sort of aspect of life based on, in this case, race, but the other factors would be considered as well, that, that any any change whatsoever, any difference whatsoever has to be the result of some systemic injustice, why then you've got to change the system. And you're seeing this now in Oregon. This is probably the most preposterous version of this. Oregon is considering whether or not to drop the bar exam as a requirement for lawyers. So, you know, the bar exam is the, you go to law school, you take your tests, and then you take the bar. And the bar is what decides whether or not you get to be a lawyer. Well, there's a problem according to a task force of the Oregon Board of Bar Examiners. And uh, the, the problem is this, that not enough non-white people are passing. That white people are passing at relatively high rates. I think it's in the 80s. And then Hispanics, it's in the 70s percent. And then for black people, it's in the 60s. And because of that, we need to get rid of the bar exam. Not we need to figure out how to make Hispanic and black people do better on the bar. No, no, no. That can't po- it can't possibly be that we're going to bring people up and recognize the standard of excellence and recognize that there is an, an objective standard to which we've all got to uh, adhere. No, we've got to bring everybody down. We've got to now have a, a legal system in which lawyers don't need even the basic competency exam of the bar. This, this is Harrison Bergeron. I mean, this is the, I mentioned this story by Kurt Vonnegut a while ago, that in this future that's gone mad with equity and egalitarianism and, and all these modern ideologies, you're going to have a society of people who have intentionally been handicapped so no one can excel anyone else. That is this is an area where I think we need a heavier hand for government. <laughs> okay. We need the government to actually, or in this case, I suppose, even the legal institutions associated with the government. You need a bar exam. You need a requirement for a bar exam. And you can't give people bonus points on their bar just because their skin is a little darker than you than you uh, otherwise would give them credit for. You know, if you're, you, you take out a swatch and you say, okay, well, because you get an extra 300 points. But no, that's not that is not going to lead to a flourishing society. It's not good for the people that you think that you're helping. It's not good for the people that you think that you're hurting, obviously. And it's not good for society to have a bunch of incompetent lawyers. 
Reminds me of that line. Was that line from from Henry the Sixth? I think it from Shakespeare is uh, "Let's kill all the lawyers." One of the most one of the most famous lines from the Bard. You know, speaking of lawyers, Ben Shapiro today is going to be talking about how to create an emergency to grab power. Specifically, talking about what's going on in New York with Andrew Quovid's gun grabbing schemes. So make sure you go check that out. Also, you know the freedom that we experience here in America. It is, at least historically, unparalleled. Many Americans don't realize just how much of that freedom was paid for in blood by heroes that have faded into history without the recognition they deserve, which is why in honor of the week of America's independence, The Daily Wire is celebrating these men with our newest podcast, America's Forgotten Heroes, which boasts seven episodes detailing the lives of seven legendary men who risked it all for America. Subscribe now to America's Forgotten Heroes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you might listen. Because the last episode is out today, Wednesday, July 7th, for a total of seven episodes. Because too many heroes never receive the recognition they deserve. And sharing their stories with you on this Independence Day holiday is our small tribute to their heroism. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. Help share these incredible stories. Thank you for listening. Thank you to the heroes that made such a tremendous podcast possible. We'll be right back with a lot more. Welcome back to the show. Everyone talking about critical race theory recently. The left defending critical race theory, then denying that critical race theory exists. Now back to defending critical race theory. Ben Carson has weighed in on this issue. Uh, Ben Carson offers, I think, a very solid definition. What everyone's asked, what is it? Define critical race. I think he gives a very solid definition and why it's so terrible for our society. It's an attempt to use race as a mechanism for redefining our society, redefining what it was based on and how it impacts everybody. And it wants our people to believe that your race is the most critical determinant of who you are and what happens to you in our society. In other words, it's a bunch of garbage. (laughs) I love that last part. In other words, it's a bunch of garbage. Uh, This is true. What he's describing is true. Very often in the debate over CRT, especially with these parents who are showing up to school boards, you're hearing the left preen and, and boast and say, oh, these unwashed idiots, they don't know what they're talking about. They can't even define critical race theory. Ben Carson is more intelligent and better educated than all of those people combined, <laughs> right? Ben Car- whatever you want to say about Ben Carson, you can't say the guy's a dummy. I don't know if you remember in 2016 when he was running for president and they went around all, all the Republican candidates. They said, what's the thing you're proudest of? And, you know, Senator so-and-so says, I'm proudest of having passed this bill. And Governor so-and-so says, I'm proudest of having passed this executive order. And then it gets to Ben Carson and goes, I'm proudest of, uh, I don't know, separating conjoined twins at the head for the first time. That was pretty cool. <laughs> You know, like, oh, wow, you're in a completely different category. And so one thing that Ben Carson does very well is he takes very complex ideas and he, he boils them down. So what he's saying is critical race theory, it's not that it's a serious academic field. It's not, it's an analytical framework and really an, an ideological tool to redefine our society. It is intended to do what the 1619 Project says it wants to do is reframe American history to put slavery at the center of it, to put race at the center of it. 
to reframe your sense of yourself to make you believe that race is the most important aspect of your identity. Nobody denies that race has something to do with your identity. The fact that I am of Italian abstraction says something to do with the way that I speak with my hands. It says something to do with the way that I eat. I eat a lot of pasta. It says something to do with the way that I think about culture, the way that I think about history. But it's not at the top. There are more important things. Traditionally in America, we have believed that our unity as Americans, Donald Trump says, we all bleed the same blood of patriots. That is more important. We believe traditionally in America that our religion is more important. I certainly do. We believe that our our bonds of community at the local level, more important. We believe that our civic associations, often more important. And what critical race theory says is no, that's all bunk. Race is the determining factor. And so recognize that America is just permanently stuck in this this racial problem and, and and it attempts to redefine the country. Absolutely right. Now, what this leads to is a lot of low expectations for black people. You you heard, I think it was Gerson, described the soft bigotry of low expectations. That when you just don't believe that black people can do anything, that is a sort of bigotry. Because even even though very often it's white liberals who have this view, they'll they are expressing a kind of bigotry because they they are viewing black people as less than human. The the whole idea of intersectionality, the the radical racial ideologies on the left now, are bigoted because they the only people that they view as fully human are white men. According to the left's radicalism, only white men possess intellect and will. We're the only people that have any moral agency. And every other person on planet earth is merely a victim of our intellect and our will. They're passive characters in a game that is only defined by white men, right? According, according to this view. So that is a kind of bigotry. And we are seeing this playing out right now in the streets of San Francisco. There was a video that went viral after many, many reports of Walgreens, for instance, closing their doors because people disproportionately black are going in and stealing stuff. So they've closed a bunch of of Walgreens. Now at a Neiman Marcus in San Francisco, there's a video that's gone viral of people, again, I I think exclusively black, but maybe mixed, but I think it's, I think black, just just running and, you know, they've got most have hoodies on or covering their faces with the masks that Fauci said. That guy might have been white. I'm not sure. Uh, going out and stealing a bunch of stuff. Now, the reason I focus on the race here is if that had been a group of white people, of course, this would be the crime of the century and they'd all be rotting in federal prison. It'd somehow be a hate crime or something. But because they're black, the liberal establishment says, well, they can't help it. They, they just can't help themselves. What? You're telling me, you're telling me you're supposed to have a department store in a place with black people and they're not going to steal all the stuff? Come on, that's crazy. That, this, is, this is the kind of low expectation that the liberal establishment has of black people. It's why they want to get rid of the bar exam. It's why they want to lower standards. It's why they want to reduce criminal penalties for people on the basis of their race in, and in various areas. This is bad stuff. No one will benefit. The Neiman Marcus might have to close. The Walgreens already have closed. The, the property values in the neighborhood are going to go 
to nothing, the crime is going to surge. It, that is a crime in and of itself. And then when crimes like that flourish, more violent crimes take place. Right now, Chicago is like downtown Fallujah. Right now, Chicago is looking like a war zone. Over the 4th of July weekend, nearly 100 people were shot in Chicago. 100 people. Think about that. What, picture one person, then 10 people, and multiply that by 10. I know it's hard for people to, to picture numbers. That's how many people took a bullet over the weekend just for being in Chicago. 17 of them were shot fatally, almost one in five dead over just a 4th of July weekend because the Democrats who run Chicago can't get the city together. ABC7 reported that 98 people were shot in the time frame of Friday at 6 p.m., to 11.59 p.m. on Monday, 17 of them succumbing to their wounds. The uh, Chicago Sun-Times lists the fatality number as higher. They listed it 19. ABC 7 uh, points out that the, that number is up pretty significantly because in 2020 on the 4th of July weekend, only 87 people were shot. Only 87 shot back in those halcyon days of 2020, but now it's even higher than that. And this follows uh, last Thursday, a day on which 32 people were shot, including a one-month-old girl who was shot in the head. Worse than a third world country. Worse than a third world country. Because of what? Because of the evil Republicans that haven't governed Chicago since the Bronze Age? What? Because of the white supremacy? Because it's MAGA country? Is that? uh, I don't think so. Don't think there's a whole lot of white supremacy in Chicago. Don't think there's a whole lot of MAGA country. Don't think it's run by Republicans. But that, that is the excuse that is given. That is always the excuse that is given. And no one really seems to care. Everyone lets that machine corrupt city of Chicago get off the hook constantly. Uh, Chicago Alderman, one of the, one of the few Republicans in that city, Anthony Napolitano, good Italian boy, good, good Republican Italian boy. He came out and he said the place is resembling a war zone. Chicago and the state of Illinois have the strictest gun laws. Uh, our, our, it's a t- statistical fact that the bulk of our, our guns, our illegal guns, come from our, our border uh, states. And not a single one of our border states or any of them combined have anywhere near 5,800 people shot in the last 17 months. Right. What, what politics won't tell you is we, we have a human problem, we have a people problem right here. There's little accountability. Politicians won't blame families for raising their kids. The gangs are raising their kids right now. We have over 17 or 117,000 gang members. That's your problem. Yeah. That is your absolute problem. So Chicago's Mayor Lori Lightfoot, like past mayors of Chicago, is trying to blame guns from other states for the shootings. It's the illegal guns. Um, Indiana seems fine to me, generally speaking. Indiana doesn't look like a, a war zone. I don't know. The border... I don't think that's really the issue. I think the issue is Chicago and the crime that is permitted to fester there. Meanwhile, while this is going on, we are being told by the left that we need to defund the police. We're being told that we need to abolish prisons. We're being told that we need criminal justice reform, which is letting criminals off the hook. That's what we need, right? Because we have an over-incarceration problem. Looks to me like we have an under-incarceration problem. Looks to me like when 100 people are getting shot in Chicago over the weekend, 17 of them being killed, one-month-old babies being shot in the head. Sounds to me like we don't have nearly enough of these criminals in prison. And I really, really hope 
that Republicans stop buying into this bogus left-wing premise that we're not throwing enough criminals in the clink because, or rather the bogus left-wing premise that we have too many criminals in the clink. We, we need to put more criminals in jail. This is one of, unfortunately, this is one of the most frustrating things from the Trump administration is he was convinced to, to put a lot of political capital into letting criminals out of jail. Because that, that's why he was elected, right? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. He, this obviously was a move from the more liberal wing of the GOP and the more liberal wing of people around former President Trump. Let's not make that, dis, that mistake again. I know that, uh, you know, look, Trump did a lot of terrific things, so I don't knock him too much for the First Step Act, but, but this is the reality of it. This is the reality of crime in America. And the only argument that is even remotely persuasive, I've heard, for letting criminals out of prison is this argument that, well, you know, a, a lot of these people, uh, disproportionately, these people who are in prison are black. Okay, that's too bad. That's a, that's a problem. You got to try to fix that problem. You're not going to fix that problem by letting criminals out of jail, okay? That's not, you're not, <laughs> make me an argument from justice. Make me an, don't make me an argument from the outcome because you don't like the racial makeup of the prisons. Make me an argument from justice. Why should we be letting criminal, at a time of a crime surge, why should we be letting criminals out of jail? Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think what a lot of this comes from is that the left benefits from this chaos. I think the left, never, never let a crisis go to waste is a phrase that crops up a lot in Democrat politics. The chaos benefits the left because it justifies power grabs. It justifies more arbitrary enforcement of rules. Whenever there is a crisis, it justifies spending more money, taking more power. You just saw it last year. If you, don't, if, you, if you don't believe that after last year, I don't know what to tell you. Well, yes, we're preventing you from going to church. And yes, we're shutting down your business, but not that other business. And we're shutting down your church, but not that marijuana dispensary. And we're doing this and we're doing that. But it's a crisis. Don't ask questions. Well, yes, we're going door to door to jab you with this thing, this experimental drug. But, you know, hey, but it's a crisis, you know. It's, is it? Is it? Take a step back. Take a breath. Take a step back. Lots of bad things going on. Very often there are simple solutions. There, I guess it looks as though there's a crisis in Chicago because everyone's shooting everybody. Throw them in prison. Beef up the police. Make the police much more forceful and aggressive. Don't, I, I don't think the problem in Chicago right now is police brutality, okay, folks? They need to be more forceful. Throw the criminals in prison. All of a sudden your crisis goes away. But the Democrats don't want to do that. I think they are interested right now in just wielding this arbitrary, vindictive force. And this is not just my own psychobabble. It's not because I'm biased and I, you know, I don't understand what the other side is thinking. Actually, it's quite the opposite, according to a study out of UC Santa Barbara. New study out of UC Santa Barbara just revealed, and take these surveys with a grain of salt, but this, this is an interesting point that a lot of us, I think, could intuit and, and know anecdotally. Woke Democrats dehumanized conservatives more than conservatives dehumanized woke Democrats during the 2020 election, largely because progressives are more misinformed about their rivals' view of them. This is according to a study by four researchers who did not expect to find this at the University of California at Santa Barbara. 
quote, Democrats expressed more dehumanization and anti-democratic spite toward Republicans than vice versa. This appears to clash with research suggesting that liberals are more open, tolerant, and less biased toward outgroup members, according to the study. And by the way, the most liberal Democrats expressed the greatest dehumanization of Republicans. So it's, it's, not, it's not even like it was the conservative Democrats. It was the most woke ones were the ones most likely to dehumanize their opponents. This study is called uh, Meta Dehumanization Erodes Democratic Norms During the 2020 Presidential Election. They could probably use a better headline editor there. Kind of a weak title. This would surprise Democrats if they were to read the study. They won't. And this will not surprise Republicans who are on the brunt of the dehumanization of the left. A political strategist on MSNBC. By the way, just for those of you who are not in the cable news business, who are not in the political media, when you see someone come on television and it says political strategist, that is a synonym for unemployed. <laughs> if they have a job, it will say what their job is. If they don't, it's a, it's a political strategist. Have you, uh, that's not, that's not a real job. So this, this woman, Susan Del Percho, uh, goes on to MSNBC and building upon this idea that Democrats are dehumanizing Republicans. She said, it's very clear right now, the GOP needs to burn to the ground. I've been looking for a new word for Trumpism because I hate it, because I think it goes deeper than just Donald Trump within the Republican party. And I keep coming back to the same name. It's neo-fascism. It needs to burn down. It literally needs to be demolished before you can go in and build it up again. And, you know, the people who actually say, why, you know, please stay Republican are Democrats who like to say, let's argue back tax policy because they know you need a strong Republican Party. Right now, it's not strong, but it needs, it really does need to, to be burned down to the ground so it can come back up. But that also means there has to be people willing to keep their Republican credentials to be there when it's time to build it up. George Orwell is often invoked <laughs> in these sorts of political discussions, and rightly so, because he made some good observations, not just in 1984, but in an essay called Politics in the English Language. In that essay, Orwell says that fascism, and he wrote this many, many years ago, fascism no longer has any meaning. Fascism now means no more than something that I do not like, <laughs> something that I do not desire. Right? This woman, I suspect, could not define fascism. You know, they tell us that we can't define critical race theory. Yes, we can. Critical race theory is an academic movement that developed over the past 30 or 40 years that says that America's defining feature is its anti-black bigotry and that this permeates every aspect of the United States, including its, its uh, system of property, including its, its, uh, its economics, and it derives from a broader Marxist tradition. That's true, and you can read about it in my book, Speechless, and you can read about it in other sources as well. What is fascism, according to this woman? It's nothing. George Orwell writes in this essay that uh, when, when people don't want to think, not even when they can't think, but when they don't want to think, they just, you just open your mind up to cliches, and then the cliches fill your head, and then they will do the thinking for you. And that's, that's what has happened. This woman says, it's a neo-fascist party, doesn't define what that is. Then she says, you know, 
it needs to be burned to the ground. And we need a strong GOP. Why? Why does this woman, I don't want a strong Democratic Party. Why does this woman want a strong Republican Party? It's just a thing that she said. It doesn't mean anything. And then she says, we, we, because right now it's not strong. Well, if it's not strong, what are you so worried about? Why does it need to be burned to the ground? You're worried because it is strong. This is like when people, including Nancy Pelosi, complained to, to Donald Trump that the border wall was ineffective and inhumane. Hold on. Which is it? <laughs> if it's ineffective, then it's not inhumane because it's not bothering anybody. If it's inhumane, then it's not ineffective because it's actually doing something. But it's just these words that don't mean anything. They just fill the air. It's so beyond any political point that this woman thinks that she's making. It's this shallowness, this pathetic rhetoric that just does, it's just words. It's, just, it's not even words. It's just grunting. It's like it's somehow below the level of speech. And obviously very dehumanizing. You'll notice, not that Republicans can't get riled up, but when we speak about people on the left, we tend to be a little calmer because we know where they're coming from. We know what their premises are. We know how they're going to get to a conclusion. It's too bad. It's bad for the country. We want to stop it, but we get it. With these people, I mean, goodness gracious, this woman is about as shrill as it gets. As they don't understand, they actually don't understand where we're coming from. They don't get why someone would vote for Donald Trump or whoever the next nominee is going to be. Or, or before Trump, it was Romney was the worst guy ever. Remember that? Then it was McCain. Then it was Bush. And then is our democracy, you see, our democracy demands that we have a strong Republican party, but not a, but, and now it's weak, but it's also too strong. And it's, it doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. Senator Bob Casey, Democrat from Pennsylvania, is using this phrase, our democracy, which the Claremont Institute's Angelo Cotavilla points out, whenever the left refers to our democracy, they're usually referring to their oligarchy. But he says, our democracy is at the point of no return because re Republicans don't want to federalize election law in the largest power grab that, that we've seen maybe in our nation's hi recent history through the, the Corrupt Politicians Act, S1 and HR1, just for the moment at least got shot down. And so because of that, we need to protect voting rights a point now with these Supreme Court decisions and with the uh, the advent of all of these, what is it, more than 400 voter suppression bills across the country where th there is, we're at a point of no return. We're either going to preserve our democracy and protect, thereby protecting voting rights or protecting voter rights to preserve the democracy or we're not. It's, we, we've come to, I think, a point where uh, Democrats have to stand up and get something done. Now, I think we can do that. Because it's, it's apparent to me that Republicans are just going to endorse these voter suppression bills. And at its core, we should just be blunt about this. At its core, these voter suppression bills are about white supremacy. And unfortunately, it seems like the Republican Party is becoming a one or two uh, issue agenda party where they, they seem to be only interested in uh, stopping Joe Biden's um, programs, especially on, on these caregiving issues. And, and supporting voter suppression bill. Did anything he said there have any meaning whatsoever? <laughs> it's just that tyranny of cliches. The Republican Party is a party obstruction, white supremacy, voting, our democracy, supremacy. You know, we can do it, but we're at the point of no return. So we got to return. Wait, I thought we were at the point of no return. What are you? This is why I wrote my book, people. By the way, thank you so much to everyone who's made it 
a uh, number one bestseller. Very, very, very cool, guys. Appreciate it. I'm glad people are reading it. I wish Democrats would read it. But especially, at least as long as Republicans read it, we have a chance. These words, you've got to parse them. They just, they are just cudgels. They are just tools to smuggle in dumb ideas through really, really silly perversions and distortions of language. Do not let them do it. They are, they are, you know, there's, there's the heavy hand of the Biden thugs going door to door to try to jab your kids. But there is the more insidious and frankly more effective political strategy of entering in through the back door of your mind with this kind of ridiculous rhetoric. Parse all these words, voting rights, white supremacy, our democracy, this, figure out what it really means. I think it's going to, I think it's going to collapse before your very eyes. And then when we figure out what they're really saying, and more importantly, when we figure out what we want to say, then perhaps we can push back beyond the point of no return. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Parents are finally calling for greater transparency in the classroom, which I think means having cameras in the classroom. We'll talk about that. Plus, the media marks the six-month anniversary of January 6th, and the retelling of it gets more and more dramatic. Andrew Cuomo declares gun violence a public health emergency, and Joe Biden wants to go door-to-door to get people vaccinated. All of that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show.